Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Maniacally Midwest. So this week, I'm really excited. Katie is going to be sharing. I don't know. Sometimes she, I think Katie picks out more gnarly crimes than I do. So I don't know what we're looking at this week, but we are going to Minnesota on our trip around the Midwest. So I'm really interested to see what the heck is going on up there. So Katie what's happening? What are, what are we looking at this week? Well, um, people who follow us on Instagram would have seen that I gave a hint on there. And I don't know if I threw people off of the scent and they thought, oh, we're going to be in Fargo, North Dakota, because it was a little snapshot from the movie Fargo, for those who don't know when they saw it. I did not know, for the record. You're a loser. This looks familiar, but was not sure. So it was not a helpful hint for me. But the reason we're going to St. Paul, Minnesota is actually because this case is supposedly the inspiration for the movie Fargo. So that's why that's in there. And I don't know if anyone has seen the movie Fargo, but it's like a movie about this guy who hires a hitman. Well, actually, I think he hires someone to kidnap his wife for ransom or something. And then they botch it and it gets all screwed up and there's like a wood chipper and stuff. So it doesn't follow it exactly, but. This is the thing that it was based on. So here we go. Wait, wait, any specific trigger warnings? We had some weird stuff going on last week. So is there anything we need to look out for this? Um, I do bring up a dog, but not in the same way that your Not in an Illinois way. Okay. No, no. um, Just the regular trigger warning, murder. Uh, It's upsetting no matter how you dice it, but there's not any sexual assault or children other than the family that's impacted after the murder. So it's a little bit of an easier one this week, in my opinion, maybe not if, if you're upset by this. Okay. So in 1963, Carol Ann Swoboda Thompson was 34 years old. She was the only child of a respected local business owner and her husband, Tilmer Eugene Thompson called cotton was doing pretty well for their family as an attorney, and they shared four children together, whose ages ranged from 6 to 13 in 1963. She was a homemaker and mother in the St. Paul neighborhood of Highland Park, which was an upper middle-class neighborhood. On March 6th, Carol was surprised in her bedroom by an intruder and was knocked out by a rubber hose. I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure what that means, but I'll get into the rest of it. I don't know how you get knocked out by a rubber hose, but yeah, it had to be a very substantial. Is this like, like a firefighter? I don't know. I don't know how you get knocked out by a rubber hose, but maybe it's just something like you kind of got knocked off your footing and like smacked your head into like a dresser or something. I don't know. Got it. Um, And then he went to drown her in her bathtub. <gasps> no, she fought like hell and that didn't work. So the attacker decided to shoot her, but his pistol wouldn't fired. So he resorted to beating her with the butt of 
of his gun. Oh my God. Even after that, she was still alive and he finally stabbed her to end her life. I feel like he should have just left her at that point. Like this woman clearly wants to live. Just go, just leave. Well, well, afterwards he decided to clean himself up. And when he returned to where she was, he found she had escaped to the neighbor's house. So (laughs) she was still alive. Okay. That's what I like to hear. The attacker who we discover later is quoted as later saying, I never saw anyone who wanted to live so hard in all my life. Um, But unfortunately, four hours after she passed away at Anchor Hospital in St. Paul. So, yeah, I know I feel really sad, but I'm at least happy that she fought back a lot. And I think that probably this drew more attention to it, which is how it got solved quicker. Got it. Um, in reading about her husband, I see that he's referred to as T. Eugene Thompson or as Cotton. So mm-hmm. that leads me to believe that he hated his first name, Tilmer. So that's it's what I'll refer that's what I'll refer to him as for the rest of this because I think he deserves nothing that he wants. Yeah. Um <laughs> so the police were super suspicious of him because he had taken out a 1.1 million dollar life insurance policy, which even by today's uh-huh. standards is a pretty substantial one and would throw up a red flag for the police, but the value of $1.1 million is over $8.7 million by today's like inflation or whatever. So it was a huge policy then. Okay. Well, here is my thing. And I don't know if this is accurate. So level with me here, Katie is our uh, financial advisor. So she's (laughs) going to know more about this than me. I thought that when you get a life insurance policy, is it not based on your income and assets a lot of times? How much they'll Um, give you? I mean, okay. I went to school for accounting. I wasn't like an actuary for an insurance company. So, I mean, you can basically sign up for whatever policy you want to, but they are going to check your health and stuff like that. And maybe the reason why he was able to get such a large life insurance policy is because he was an attorney and he was doing fairly well for himself. And if she that's what I'm wrong, saying, he had, I feel like he had money. Like, was this fucking necessary? Did you need to like kill your wife? Like, just go catch a couple cases for somebody. I feel like you can make your million. Well, he was Anyways. also supposedly a womanizer, so maybe you kill two birds with one stone. Excuse the pun, but you okay. get some money and she's gone, and you can carry on with your ways. So, got it. The Just police, wanted to clear that up. Yeah, no. Uh, the police didn't know how to tie him to the crime exactly, but they were like, he definitely had something to do with it. We just don't know how. Okay. And also, he wasn't at the house. He had an alibi. There was not evidence that he was the one that did it. So they wouldn't have to wait too long to tie the pieces together. In April, so a month after, mm-hmm. the cops publicly displayed fragments from the pistol grip that was used to beat her with. Um, and they identified the likely murder weapon is a Luger handgun that was stolen from a Minneapolis apartment. So, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure most people know this, but Minneapolis, St. Paul are the twin cities. They're like yep. right next to each other. So they're both like big cities on their own, but like, so Minneapolis and St. Paul are next door. Following this discovery that the fragments came from a Minneapolis uh, gun that was stolen, Mm -hmm. police arrest a guy in connection with the St. Paul robbery and he admits to stealing the Luger 
but then implicates several other guys he heard discussing the Thompson murder before it even happened. What? Yeah. So the police then pick up two guys and actually the Phoenix police department picked them up. So they were in Phoenix, but they like cooperated with the Minneapolis St. Paul police department. And at this point, the police department was under like extreme pressure to just figure it out and close the case because the Highland park neighborhood that they lived in was a pretty well-off neighborhood. And people were really scared that this violent attack just happened and she didn't seem like a likely murder victim. So they were like terrified, like what is going on? Yeah. The two guys who they pick up are Norman Mastrian. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Honestly, I don't really care. He can go screw off. <laughs> and Dick Anderson. Shut up. I didn't. That's really his name. I'm not just calling him that. That's such a sus name. All these people just, they sound like they were set up. This is why it's really important, you guys, to think about what you name your kids. Like you could be setting them up to be murderers. I'm just well, I, it to, to be fair, I have an uncle Richard who goes by the name Dick. It was a common name back in the day. It wasn't what people usually yell at someone who cuts them off driving at that point in time. I mean, fair, but at Norman fucking Tillamook or whatever the guy's name is, not even though, I really, shout out to Tillamook. I do love all of their dairy (laughs) products, even though they're from Oregon. His name was was Tilmer, not Tillamook, Tilmer. Tilmer, okay. So anyways, they picked up these two guys. Norman was a former boxer, but he was also a figure well-known in the underworld. Dick was a Korean War veteran. One of the other men that the initial robber mentioned led the police to the Luger and bloodstained clothes belonging to Anderson from a swamp north of the Twin Cities. Yikes. So Anderson admits that he's the one that committed the murders. And he said that Norman paid him $3,000, which... Sounds like not that much, but I Googled this also. And that actually equates to like $26,500 by like today's standard. So, dude, inflation has hit us hard. Yeah. That's crazy. Norman, in turn, claims that Tilmer is the one who hired him to kill his wife. Now, I looked it up and I don't see anywhere I couldn't find, and maybe I just wasn't searching well enough or I didn't have the right keywords how much Norman was paid because obviously Anderson was given $3,000 from Norman, but I don't know how much money he got from Tilmer. So on June 21st, Tilmer is arrested at the Forest Lake cabin. He shared with his in-laws and his children, which I'm super grossed out about. Like, don't go back there. You had her killed. Like, just leave them alone. Just stay the crap away from them. Don't enjoy their lake house. Get away. You loser. He's charged with first degree murder. And his case is moved to Hennepin County from Ramsey County, which is where he was initially indicted. Um, Minnesota regarded this as the crime of the century. So it kind of makes sense that they needed to change the venue because it was just so famous. I mean, I doubt even moving the county really helped that much, but maybe taking it a little bit away from the center of it all. Mm-hmm. The state relied heavily on the fact that he had taken out this insane insurance policy and attempted to cash it out, as well as an affair that he was having that he wanted to end in marriage as the motive for 
this murder. They also had the testimony of the actual killer and how he was hired. So Anderson took the stand and in excruciating detail, he described murder her, which, I mean, I mentioned that they had four kids, like some of them actually even testified. I want to say his son, Jeff testified. I don't remember how old he was, but we'll revisit Jeff because he actually comes up in the news after I didn't see mention of the other children's names. I always comment when a defendant takes the stand that it's a super bold move because a lot of trials about perception. So you put yourself in front of the jury. They're already making judgments about you, even when you're sitting behind like the table, but you put yourself up there and then every like look movement action is just super dissected and it can be hard for them to shake the opinion of it when it's time to like come to a conclusion. Yeah. It's even weirder. I mentioned that Tilmer was an attorney. He was actually a criminal defense lawyer. Oh my God. So this is like his game. He knows what's going on here from both sides. Oh, it's even more bizarre to me that he decided to take the stand because I would think that that would be something he would know better than, but I'm, it's possible that he is one of the criminals that thinks that he can outsmart everyone and that it doesn't matter. He has a way of manipulating people Um, on the stand. A lot of people say that he did himself more harm than good. He just said he could never do that to his wife. He loved his wife so much. And that apparently the jury didn't buy because exactly nine months to the day of Carol's murder, he was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Um, Norman was also convicted of first degree murder in a separate trial. And, uh, Dick actually pleaded guilty, so he didn't have a trial, but they were also given life sentences. Oh, wow. Now, for my catchphrase, this next thing blew my balls off. Yep. On March 15th, 1983, Tilmer was still proclaiming his innocence. He was granted parole by the state of Minnesota. So I think this was uh, like 20 years after 63 is when she was killed. And Norman was paroled in February just before him. The only one that I can't find information on is Dick Anderson, the guy who actually killed her. And it doesn't seem like he was paroled. I'm assuming since I couldn't find anything and I could find stuff about Norman also in addition to Tilmer. Mm -hmm. Norman actually tried writing a book called Presumption of Guilt and thought that it would make him wildly famous, but it was not (laughs) even published. So sorry, not sorry, loser. Like he's basically trying to profit off of a murder he put together. So Um, great that he got paroled. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That's Um, concerning. Yeah. In 2015, uh, Tilmer passed away from natural causes at the age of 88. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So one of Tilmer's children, Jeff, went on to actually become a judge. And he says that after his dad was paroled, his family actually held like a family trial and they put their dad on trial. That's kind of weird to me. I mean, I guess. He was already an attorney at this point. So he was. Yeah, but that's, that's, everybody processes grief differently, I suppose. I'm not sure if that's the route that I would go, but. I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting here, but it seemed like he was convinced that his dad hired this murder 
his dad is saying every day, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And he's convinced he's guilty. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess working through it in his head as a lawyer, he's like, okay, let's have a trial, prove it, prove that you didn't do this. And we'll decide, well, ultimately he said his dad failed. He's, he's like, no, nah, no, he did it. But the thing that I think is weird and respectable all at the same time is that, you know, he says that he has tried going through and like processing the fact that people can have good and bad in them and that they actually have gotten together with their dad prior to him passing away. And he'd be like, you can have good conversations with him. And I guess I'm so black and white that I'm like, yeah, no, you're done. (laughs) You're done. Don't talk to me. I'm not really hard, especially when it's one, okay. One parent killing the other parent. Like that's just, I think maybe if I was put in that situation, it would be easier for me to still have some kind of a relationship if it was like a random person that got murdered or somebody that I didn't have such emotional ties to. But yeah, I agree. No, I've cut people off for a lot less than hiring. I mean, so um, here's the other thing that stuck in my head. Jeff brings up that the, one of the big reasons why he's convinced his dad is guilty is that on Valentine's day. So like a month before his mom was killed, Mm -hmm. his dad gave away their family dog. And I'm like, Tilmer, you little bastard. How dare you? How dare you? Why would he do that? So I think like they didn't spell it out, but I feel like the implication is they got rid of some being in the house that would have warned her that someone came in. Probably that makes sense because based on being surprised, yeah. And she like fought as hard as she did. She probably would have like beat his ass and like ran away. So, well, so now we know if Mirza ever tries to get rid of Rocky, not a good sign. No, not a good sign. My cats, make- however, they're not going to save me anyways. So I'm screwed. <laughs> so that is the Fargo case, which by the way, in watching this, Chloe reminded me that there's a series on FX called Fargo and I like binge watched the whole first season. It is not, I mean, there is a hitman, but it's not the same thing. So it's interesting if you like gory stuff. Well, that was a good one. Honestly, I have never heard the full story through about the Fargo crime. So that was really interesting to hear. I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah, Um, because it seems like a lot of stuff. And I mean, even the Fargo movie, I feel like they say it's based on a true story. They say that at the beginning of the TV show. But I think they take a lot of liberty with stuff and it's not really based on it. Okay, I've got the heebie-jeebies. Thank you guys uh, for tuning into another episode of Maniacally Midwest. Definitely feel free to go check us out. We are on Instagram at Maniacally Midwest. We're also on TikTok definitely stay posted for all of Katie's crazy uh, TikToks on there. And (laughs) we are available on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Leave us reviews, send your friends our way. Send us. Chloe's going to start an OnlyFans next week. So (laughs) only feet pics and murders. Uh, But seriously, send us DMs. If you guys have any 
Midwest crimes that you want us to cover. We have really enjoyed interacting with people that are listening to our different episodes. So we always look forward to that. Shoot us suggestions. Tell us hi. Let Chloe know the cat suck and she should get the dog. But whatever you want to do, you know, we'll we'll listen. We'll take I it. Can, yeah. So thank you guys so much for all your support. Um, rate us on on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That helps us a lot and helps people find us easier. All right. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.